Hello and welcome to a rather spooky shout out. I'm Andy Shilton. And I'm Ezra Peregrine. <laughs> and on this week's show. Uh, we talked to author Robert about his wonderful children's book, The Dress in the Window. And there's a new film coming out about Rock Hudson, All That Heaven Allowed. We talked to the director, Stephen Kayak. Uh, all that and a lot more spooky things today Whoa. on the show. <laughs> Oh, yes. So, hello. 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 That's not the way to the castle. (laughs) (laughs) Get a bit of a labyrinth quote in there because it is spooky season, ain't it? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we're live live from the haunted mansion tonight. We are. It's rather nippy in here. Mm. And the cold. Sorry, I'll turn the aircon off. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was all the ghouls and gals. Blow out your cobwebs. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Is everybody looking forward to Halloween? Uh, yeah, is, is it Tuesday or Monday? It's Tuesday, Tuesday isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Tuesday so, the 31st. Or, or Hallow's Eve. That's right. So, um, and of course, that means clocks go back this weekend. Yeah. So this isn't the one that catches you out, though. Oh, well, it can do, but not in a, in a bad way. <laughs> yeah. You can end up just going to work an hour early. Yes. <laughs> you know, whereas yes. in the summer, when it goes forward, you turn up an hour late and get yes. in trouble. <laughs> which I have done. <laughs> I think most people do it yeah. once in their life. Also, they don't it's realize. a really good excuse, right, for turning up late. Oh, sorry, I didn't notice. <laughs> but now our phones and our watches do it automatically yeah yeah so. for the most part yeah what's your favourite spooky film oh I don't know I'm, I'm the spot oh I haven't thought about that I did actually really like um, um, oh what was it Hocus Pocus yeah two. And, and two that was a good guess wasn't yeah. it yeah I mean two is not as good as one have no, you however, seen um, but one is have you seen the latest Haunted Mansion which one is oh yeah Disney yeah rather than yeah. the previous one was uh, it, it, it was better <laughs> better I wouldn't, wouldn't say it was no spectacular no I, no I like the references to the rides have you ever been to Disney yes and been on yeah, the, it was closer the haunted it, house the ride. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was funny. So. Absolutely. I'm excited to listen to the interview with... Uh, oh, sorry, about Rock Hudson. I was going to say with Rock Hudson. That, that, <laughs> well, that would be really beyond the grave. That would be quite Sorry. Spooky. Yeah, it would be very, it'd be very apt, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, with Stephen Kayak. Uh, sorry, um, we, we should say... Like, no, I was back with us. We should. Hello. Hello, nice to be what's here. Your, what's your favourite... Poltergeist. Oh, my favourite. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Are there any that are so scary you wouldn't watch? Uh, or you don't no, I, no, I think spooked. for me, um, I like being scared. What I don't like is an excess of gore. So, oh, think, right. so the Saw films, I tend to stay, yeah. stay away yeah. from. Oh, there's a but, new one uh, now, yes, isn't there? Yeah, Saw yeah. 10. Yeah. I'm, ten? A big, yeah, I'm quite a big Saw fan. Right. Like, I remember watching I, I the first, like first one all those years ago. Yeah. And, I think that's what it is hack, for me, like so, nostalgia. So, I mean, me and Cara are t- terrible. If we, watch, if we watch that, we have to go watch something Disney afterwards just yeah. to come back down again. <laughs> yeah, but th- I mean, I say I watch Saw, but I can't watch some of the Harry Potters because Voldemort scares me. So, you know, like, really? I don't really know what my limits are. Jake <laughs> Rowling <laughs> scares me. High five. Yeah, sorry, if you, yeah, listeners, that was for you. Sound effects. Uh, you can't see the high five that me and Terry yeah. gave across the room. 
Hey. <laughs> I'm You're really blowing out Terry's cobwebs and all yeah, that. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, we've got some Halloween <laughs> events coming up this weekend. Are you doing anything at all? Um, decorating, but okay. not as in pumpkins and like as right. in paint and wallpaper and stuff. Yeah, so nothing exciting. <laughs> Not in orange. So I've got black. candy courtesy of you. I have to say, Ez brought these things <laughs> called Mentos Sours. Yes, I did. And these are green apple flavour. And she yeah. got these super sour. Try one. I stuck it in my mouth. It, it kind of pulled your mouth apart. <laughs> 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 we thought we thought we'd give Terry one before he reads the news. <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're so awful. They're good. Mm. Yeah. No, they are. They're really nice. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Absolutely. So. We've got quite a packed show tonight. We have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> not as packed as it was. Not as packed as it was. No, <laughs> I was having a little bit of a heart attack last night because the editing oh, version didn't appear, um, and I was putting the show together. And I'm like, there is the, the, too much interview in this show. There's not enough time for the news and us. And so, which would have been an interesting show. <laughs> yeah. It'd been quick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how, how do you stop Hess from talking? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I just get really excited about horror films. Yeah. I have some hints and so tips are you gonna about go, that. Are you going to go Seesaw 10 then? I, I, will, I really want to see it, but I would probably have In to 3D. go by myself because Ooh. Steph is. You're not going to come and no see Seesaw 10. No way am I going to see that. You're right. going to go with one okay. Just yeah. do it. Can you book Disney afterwards then? Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we'll watch Saw 10 and then we'll go to yours and have cocktails and Disney. While you're doing that, I'll be watching Tinkerbell. Okay. Anyway, they're, they're talking of dress up. Um, our first interview tonight is about a gorgeous book um, uh, that I read when it came here to the studio called The Dress in the Window. Yeah. Um, I think you spoke to um, the author, didn't you? Robert Tregoon. Yeah. Yes. So um, uh, have a listen to this. One afternoon on the high street in town, a boy with his mum saw a sparkling gown. There, in that moment, the boy made a wish to put on that dress and to swirl and swish. I'm joined by the author, Robert Tregoning, and um, the illustrations are absolutely brilliantly done uh, by Pippa Koenig. Um, Robert, before we get into it, how did you actually get into writing? Oh, wow. Hello. <laughs> so, um, so it all started... Um, I was working in musical theatre um, and it was around Christmas and um, I helped the backstage crew, the wig department, costume department, um, lots of different people to put on like a pantomime performance of Cinderella for the cast, just as something fun for Christmas um, at warm up. And I wrote a script for the pantomime that was written in rhyme and a very lovely member of the cast called Myra Sands um, said to me, that was really good. You should maybe think about writing seriously. And I had, since um, being a child, I'd come up with ideas for stories. They, they tended to be quite epic stories that I didn't really get to the end of. But that was the first time I thought, oh, I like this idea of writing in rhyme um, and started to come up with ideas for children's stories. And this was around the same time as me sort of processing lots of stuff in my personal life and feeling like I had messages I really wanted to pass on to younger generations. Um, and those two things kind of combined and resulted in the children's books that I'm writing now. Mm. Were you always artistic growing up, like, you know, doing theatre and doing plays for your mum and dad and that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
all so all forms of sort of self-expression and art I, I loved art was always my favorite subject at school um the art room at school was the room I felt super safe in and could really express myself in uh, yeah I would wrote my sister in and we do plays for our parents and for anyone else who was visiting um yeah always loved to dance so yeah yeah, I've always been interested in all sorts of forms of art. Yeah, and did did that include dressing up? Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. Um, all sorts of costumes. I used to love going to friends' houses and they'd have dressing up boxes and we'd try on all the clothes. Um, I remember what, one of the stories that really inspired this story, The Dress in the Window, um, for me was visits to a local haberdashery that we'd go to fairly often and all of the sequins and the sparkles and the fabric wrapped around mannequins um has really stayed with me as something i was so drawn to and i remember going to that haberdashery with my mom and we bought fabric to make me a mermaid's tail um yeah so it's always been yeah a big part of who i am kind of express myself in that way now i'm holding a copy of uh, your book the dress in the window and it is just a shame that we're only on radio currently, but we will be putting it on social uh, social media. Pippa Koenig's done such a lovely job to wrap those graphics around your your beautiful story. Absolutely. Oh, it's so gorgeous. And yeah, the, the cover itself is so sparkly, the way that they've created. Yeah, yes, yeah. And it's a lovely size book. Is that is not far off being A4, isn't it? Yeah, it's around that size, so it's lovely. Um, you could read it with children. It's really easy to share with a group of people. Um, it's a really nice size. But yeah, absolutely, as you say, Steffi, um, Pippa's illustrations just seem to let the story like twirl from page to page. It's got so much movement in it. Yeah, it has. Yeah, it is a wonderful read. Now, how did the the ideas come up? You've you've sort of um, you've said about your childhood and that, and you love dressing up, and so you could yeah. see that the story was already percolating and already there. What gave you the push to actually do a, a children's book? So, with this story, um, I, I guess what I was processing a lot in my personal life was dealing with the shame that I'd carried from childhood, and to begin with, that shame was very much tied to um gender stereotypes and being made to feel that I was drawn to things that that I shouldn't be which was stupid but it was it started in that in that place and it was later in life that I start to um consider my sexuality and suddenly this whole new wave of shame hit me um and it took um till into my 30s and I met my amazing husband and I met him working in theater Billy um and he really helped me to process a lot of what was still stuck inside me that I hadn't been able to get out. Um, and I've written stories, my my debut picture book, which um, was illustrated by the amazing Steph Murphy, it's called Out of the Blue, it came out in February. And it's a story that does talk about shame. And it talks about how it feels to carry that weight and the weight of a secret, but then to let that go, and to be um, to be celebrated by uh, some uh, a loved one, um, and then to, to, to share that with the world and to find joy. Um, and I thought it was important to talk about shame in the in the stories I was writing because it is something I remember feeling from from like er, my earliest memories um but with the dress in the window the thought here was to write a story that challenged gender stereotypes and had zero shame in it whatsoever so what if we just put a story in front of children that that doesn't even hint at the idea that there's anything shameful whatsoever and of course there's not um so to not even um put that thought into the story which 
is great. But then I suppose being theatrical like I am, I still wanted the story to have some drama. And Billy had this memory of walking past a shop window every day on his way to school. And in the window would be displayed the most amazing dresses. And that was the image, that image of a young boy, nose pressed to the glass, gazing at this gown that's just out of reach. It seemed to sum up um, our childhood longings that we both felt so perfectly. And then Billy said, what if one day that dress was gone? And that was it. That was the drama that I was looking for. So was it that sort of how this story was born? And then the whole thing flowed from, from those conversations. Yeah, it's a beautiful, but uh, when I was reading it and I got to that part in the book, I thought, oh no, this <laughs> is gone. What's going to happen now? Is, um, I know. Did, when, you, um, when you came out, was everything smooth for you? Did you feel supported by family and school? School was tricky. School, um, I grew up in rural northeast England in the late 80s and 90s and obviously went to school under Section 28. So I think I found it difficult until my adult years to really express, um, yeah, who I am. Um, and, and I think children's books and what I was, um, being presented with in the media was a big part of that, that I didn't see myself reflected. I didn't see stories, um, of LGBTQ plus experiences of any kind, you know, during my primary years, I can't remember any examples at all. And, and I have no doubt that they were out there, but just where I was, um, and, and in my experience, I didn't really see those, those stories around me. Mm. Robert, going going forward, this is such a beautiful book, and I'm sure it'd be a soaring success. Have you got any anything else planned? Have you got the is your head like buzzing of what's could what could yeah. come next? There are stories on the way, yeah. I know, um I know. So there have been two stories published this year, which is incredible, out of the blue, and now the dress in the window. I know next year that there are three more on the way. Um and and then beyond there are some others as well and i'm constantly coming up with new ideas um some of which some of which uh really center lgbtq plus experience some of them uh, less so but i guess because because i'm writing them they're coming from you know my queer brain i think there is always an element of queerness um yeah i have a story coming up next year um which is about the politics of fear and how that can be used to um sway people and to control people and how you know and being a member of the queer community that's so prevalent and we're so exposed to that um and yeah and i i just it's a story about really looking and really seeing and and not just believing um not just believing something because somebody powerful tells you to believe it to really look and really find the truth um yeah, so I'm excited about that one. That's certainly of the time, is it not? Uh, very poignant, uh, considering yeah. what the current government are are um, are talking about and um, actually being quite hateful uh, to the, the whole of the queer community. Absolutely, yeah. Um, um, how did you find uh, your illustrator, Pippa? It was. Uh, did you have to go hunting for Pippa? Because. <laughs> Her, her no, drawings and illustrations are absolutely stunning, aren't they? Fabulous. Yeah, it all happens through the publisher. The publisher, um, uh, this has been my experience. I'm working with two different publishers, and my experience has been that they they take the story 
and then they then reach out and find the uh, the perfect fit with with the illustrations um yeah and as soon as as soon as they um sent over the drawings that pippa had done i was just blown away and the first time i saw there's there's one spread in particular and not to give away the ending but there is a happy ending <laughs> and there's one spread where the boy is just leaping with joy and everybody wants to dance with him um and it brought me to tears the first time i saw it just to see just to imagine you know five six-year-old me opening that book and seeing that image and how how i would have felt so seen and so understood yeah. um yeah it's so moving yeah i i, I think i would absolutely really recommend this in fact um being an adult myself i found it absolute brilliant read so please uh, even if you haven't got kids is is worth a read it is a beautiful story so wonderfully illustrated and i'm really looking forward to the next one now before we go robert um where can people find the book i guess is in most of the outlets yeah like all lovely bookshops are selling it um i I, I can see online all of the big the big bookshops, lots of local independents, which would be great, you know, to go out and support your independent bookshops. Um, but yeah, it looks like it's being sold in lots and lots of bookshops, so it should be fairly easy to find out there. Good. Now, social, so people can follow you if you've got a website yeah. or you're on um, Instagram or uh, Twitter. Yeah, so the website is um, roberttregoning.com, and I'm on Instagram, Twitter, um threads blue sky and that is at bob tregoning okay robert thank you so much for joining us here on shout out and i'm really looking forward to that that next book because i've so enjoyed this one um the dress in the window robert tregoning thank you so much thank you so much pleasure <laughs>Shoutout News, welcome along. The Metro newspaper reports that hate-filled trolls have attacked Pride new father, actor and comedian Jack Whitehall. Jack's currently working on a new programme about parenthood, and his internet request for pregnant people to come forward was of course seized upon by the usual gaggle of angry straight gammons, who were livid that he would dare to include transgender men by implication, and he has received hatred online. Sorry you've had to experience this, Jack, tweeted one trans man. This is just typical behaviour for people who cannot abide anything outside their narrow worldview. Stay strong and be sure to include pregnancy stories from a diverse society on your new TV show. The I newspaper says that many moderate members of the Conservative Party are alarmed and distressed at its apparent drift to the far right with conspiracy theories, hatred of minorities and creeping authoritarianism on issues such as public protest, environmental concerns and indifference to people it tramples on, evidenced by a recent tabloid call to force disabled people back to work. <laughs> 
The party chairman, Greg Hans, denies that there has been an orchestrated campaign of entryism, whereby people from extremist groups would infiltrate the Conservatives to push them to a far-right agenda. But moderate Conservative member of the Greater London Assembly, Mr Andrew Boff, had been thrown out of the party conference for questioning the fixation with transgender people. Mr Boff told reporters that the Home Secretary was, quote, making our party look homophobic and transphobic. In the US, the Hispanic Federation, which was founded in 1990 by a small group of Latino leaders establishing initiatives to advocate for the interests of the Hispanic community in the US, has appointed its first out gay president and CEO. Now, Frankie Miranda has chatted with the Newswire LGBTQ Nation to reveal how he plans to tackle anti-gray discrimination in a way which is sensitive and engaged with the Hispanic communities. The American Civil Liberties Union of Tennessee, Out Memphis LGBT Group and the state's Transgender Law Centre have joined forces to launch legal proceedings against Tennessee, which already has a reputation as the most legislatively homophobic and transphobic in the US, for their bizarre treatment of sex workers and people living with HIV. The plaintiffs argue that the aggravated prostitution statute is rooted in fear and discrimination, targeting people living with HIV for harsh punishment and forcing them to register as, quote, violent sex offenders for the rest of their lives. Criminalising people with HIV, they said, defies evidence-based best practices and is patently unlawful as it singles out people living with HIV, a protected disability, for harsher punishment. Hundreds braved the rain and joined the LGBT Pride Parade in Montenegro's capital, Pajorica, on October the 21st. Among the participants were cabinet members, party leaders and ambassadors. It was the 11th annual edition of this event in the Western Balkan country, and this year's motto was self-determination, in a reference to the activists' demand that Montenegro allow a free choice of gender identity. Sarah Wagenknecht is leaving the left party of Germany to establish her new Alliance for Reason and Fairness. She hopes her new party will not only outflank the struggling centre-left coalition, but will also take votes away from the far right, in particular the extremist and homophobic Alliance for Deutschland, whose support is running at 20%. Talking with the German public TV channel ARD, Ms. Wagenknecht said that many people were voting for the far right out of desperation, but were not actually Nazis or far right wingers. Instead, she wants to offer a party of German democratic leftism with social social policies appealing to social justice, but still maintaining a hard line on immigration. Ms. Wagenknecht hopes that this combination of traditionally left and right platforms can help puncture the Alliance for Deutschland. As the festival of Halloween draws near, Queer Spirit are staging several events in London and the South East. They say of their Saturday event, At Samain Full Moon, the veils between the worlds are thin. So let's dress up to pass through them and greet the spirit world in celebration of the unity of life and death. Let us celebrate the turning wheel of the year and call on the ancestors to help us remember and reclaim the sacred roles of queer, non-binary, gay, lesbian, third-gender people as walkers between the worlds, bringing the law, wisdom and healing presence of spirit into the people's lives. Plenty of drums and percussion to share around and you're also welcome to bring your own instruments of any kind. For more more info, please visit queerspirit.net. 
And finally, in South Bristol, the LGBT plus Fab Cafe for the over 50s will now be meeting every Tuesday from 10.30am to 12 noon at the Tobacco Factory Cafe on North Street in Bedminster. <coughs> Expect conversation and regular guest speakers in a safe and welcoming space. If you'd like to know more, just contact Leanne. The telephone number is Bristol, that's 0117-923-1039. So it's been another busy week for LGBTQI news and with so much happening as we maintain our look to the various news feeds. Do stay up to date with gay, trans and non-binary media wherever you are and please do check us out at shoutoutradio.lgbt. For Shoutout News, this has been Terry Starr and Niall Adacott. Shout out LGBT Radio for you. <laughs> the Shout Out Podcast. For more information about Shout Out Radio, visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shout out LGBT Radio for you. This segment is sponsored by Talk to the Rainbow Counselor. Visit talktotherainbow.co.uk. Shout out LGBT Radio for you. Based on votes of moviegoers all over the nation, most popular actor of the year, Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson. Actor Rock Hudson. Pleased to make your acquaintance, man. The Rock was an icon. He was by far the biggest star in Hollywood. Not only did women say, that's the man I want to marry, many men said, that's the man I'd like to be. He had more than one world. And he had the studio world, he had this gay world. If the truth had come out, that would have been the end of his career. It's as simple as that. Oh, you. Hiding in closets isn't going to cure you. Rock is the last of those manufactured stars where every aspect of what we think to be their private life has been built by other people. You are divine. I know, but I'm in training. <laughs> we were ordered never to have our picture taken together because somebody would know that we were gay. People loved him. He was just a decent, wonderful guy. Let me begin with the latest figures from Los Angeles County. Today, they show 56 new cases of AIDS. The public started seeing a major decline in his appearance. He was so much thinner and didn't look like he felt good. That's when even we thought it was AIDS. Actor Rock Hudson has acquired immune deficiency syndrome. It was everything kind of wrapped up in one. It was Hollywood and the closet and the fact that Rock had lived his life not able to express who he was. And it had come to that. When he died, longtime friend Elizabeth Taylor prayed that he had not died in vain. He was seen as the all-American boy. 
the All-American Boy Gets AIDS, it's really changed a lot of people's attitudes. He pretty much did change the course of history around AIDS. He didn't intentionally do it, but there was no other star that made that kind of impact before. There hasn't been one since, really. If you're of a certain age, you'll be thinking, who is Rock Hudson? Well, there's now a film out, and so there is absolutely no excuse. He is quite a hunk, and I'm joined by the film's director, Stephen Kayak. Uh, welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you. Very, very uh, happy to be here. Oh, I don't want to be too rude to Rock Hudson, but um, when he was Roy Fitzgerald, he was quite plain, wasn't he? But he grew up into that absolute hunk of a man with that smile that just turned everybody on. He really did. Um, he was an awkward kid, you know, grew up at a farm uh, in Illinois, Winnetka, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. Um, and uh, early pictures uh, show kind of a gangly, but very, very tall uh, young lad with an incredibly awkward smile. And there are the times later in the career when you, you catch it, maybe when his guard is down, he's kind of very <laughs> kind of geeky, toothy smile. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he was just such a natural. He just had this, just really this amazing way about him. And I think the, the actor, the physical presence he grew into, it's just DNA really. I mean, they don't, they really don't mint them like that anymore, do they? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and of course, it was um, uh, it was the Hollywood generation from like the forties, fifties, um, and sixties, and into the seventies before social media and the internet. So he just about scraped by by having his his private gay life, didn't he? Uh, yeah, just just about, you know. Um, and you're right. I mean, it was just a different time. I mean, everybody, not just. You know, the Hollywood elite were uh, the gay, the, the gay people of the time were living double lives and having to figure out how to exist in, a, in an extremely hostile environment. Um, not dissimilar to what we're experiencing now, you know, uh, it, it's really a bizarre pendulum shift. But um, and there was more of a code, I think people weren't tattling on each other. It was. It was a community that I think rallied around their own and, and existed to protect each other, you know? Uh, so I think his secret was pretty well kept. Mm, um, too, yeah. yeah. Shows well in the, in the film itself. Um, mm. it shows that very well. Uh, the fact that he seemed to have quite a prolific gay uh, sideline going on. And <laughs> That's with, one way to put it. <laughs> but um, he was uh, very heterosexual for the front of the, the Hollywood movies. Well, he also, we have to remember, he, wa he was very square. You know, he was straight acting and appearing um, in every sense of the word. He was uh, socially conservative. You know, he was a... By the time, you know, he's in his heyday, he's a wealthy, very tall, white man. Um, and that comes with a lot of privilege as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he did enjoy himself quite mm. a lot. Yeah. It must have taken you 
absolutely ages. So how long did it actually take you and your team to actually come up with all those clippings? It's very, very cleverly put together, especially near the end, where you mirror what's happening in his private life with what he actually said in films. Yeah, he uh, you know, it, it was it was about a two year, two year project, um, which is and sometimes isn't enough time. I don't know. It felt very rushed to me more so with the fact that there are almost 70 plus films and tv shows uh and we looked at everything um you know uh, we had the benefit of the great rock hudson's home movies kind of essay film from filmmaker mark rapaport who uh, made a film in the 90s kind of compiling all the gay innuendo and codes and secrets and and just kind of laid it out in a clip style you know just with a a, a rock Hudson substitute in there narrating his secret existence to you. So, you know, there there was a little shorthand we were able to lean on, but we we really did start from scratch and watch everything with a fresh eye uh, because it wasn't just the secret gay life. You know what I mean? It's like it's 70 movies. There's a little piece of all of life buried in there somewhere. Uh, and they all spoke back to his present moment it's grammatically correct but you know what i mean like especially towards the end when he's passing and we kind of wanted him to sort of say goodbye to himself and like reflect on his own mortality and then we wanted to resurrect him and leave him in this kind of glorified state if you will so we had a lot of it was it was very really an, an enjoyable process to to manipulate the films in that way not just as examples of him and his acting but for really um, all the messages that were in there. Mm. I think it was very poignant as well that you put in um, his his past um, lovers, his past uh, boyfriends, um, and th the fact that the, he, he actually got married, didn't he? He did to his gay manager's lesbian secretary, Phyllis. Um, a total sham, lasted all of three years. Um, yeah, uh, that's what one did you know you were approaching 30 even by the time life magazine starts asking you why you're not married you know you're in trouble you know it's one thing if the tabloids are running cheeky headlines but really all of mainstream culture at that time was asking him why are you still single rock um and you know this was when his big film giant was about to come out you know one of his greatest triumphs so they had to hustle and, and get him a wife. Um, but on the flip side of that, like you mentioned, uh, I think the real heart of the film is, uh, is are, are the interviews with the men in his life. That was a very deliberate choice to kind of create this arc of interviews that aren't really just talking heads. They are characters. They meant something to him. They were in bed with him. They were in love with him. They went to sex clubs with him, co-stars, friends, you know, who just see, had seen all these personal sides to him. Uh, and I think it was a way to just tell a little generational story and a way to get you a little closer to what his life might have actually been like. Mm. But he, the, the look that he had, he could smolder the film that was actually on because that smile and those eyes could bore into you, couldn't they? He really had extraordinary looks. It was unbelievable. Again, like the, it, it, it's just he, he was blessed with a a genetic formula that just really took to uh celluloid you know granted minted i mean um you know groomed trained 
dressed, styled everything within the system, the studio system. He was he was really the epitome of that manufactured star of the era. He was a contract player, had to do what they told him, take the films that they gave him. But within that, that's where he, you know, learned his craft and he was really dedicated to it. Um, but you're right. I mean, I could watch, you can watch All That Heaven Allows, this Douglas Sirk masterpiece, and just watch the hair move. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> it's like a sculpture, you know what I mean? And then those pressed flannels just top yeah. it all off. Uh, it's, yeah, he's a magnificent object, that's for sure. That's true. And he, he was quite a good actor, wasn't he? Although he, he pushed and he didn't have any training he knew what he wanted to do and he, he had those breaks, didn't he? More so than I think people give him credit for, you know, I mean, he is kind of generally known as a great movie star, maybe not a great actor. I mean, he wasn't, uh, you know, actor studio. He wasn't a James Dean. He wasn't a Montgomery cliff by any stretch. He wasn't the dark and stormy. He was just nice and easy. Wasn't he? He was just easy on the eye. He was a calm, solid presence uh oozing americana and masculinity um and just uh took to the craft and i think took to the persona really deliberately you know and he really knew he really did have drive and everyone who worked with him really did has always mentioned his extreme professionalism you know he wasn't always in great movies um but is he bad in them you know is it really his fault <laughs> i don't know you know sometimes uh you you wonder and there are times i think where he kind of you can see him just kind of giving up and realizing oh god here we go again another b script well he was director he was prolific wasn't he in movies and like you so many like you inferred yeah. a lot of them were b movies but you also as uh, a lot of actors do from the movies when they get older go into tv and he was in mcmillan and wife wasn't he huge hit yeah one of the few people don't remember really i think one of the few actors of his of his time who made a success in television a lot of his contemporaries tried and failed uh, including like jimmy stewart and and others uh their tv careers never really boomed that ran for seven seasons you know it was this kind of slightly silly detective you know san francisco police commissioner you know solving crimes every week sort of show uh with susan st james as his young hippie wife um it's a hoot uh and it was very very popular hugely popular we've uh we've spoken a lot about the main part of the film but come to the end um it's it's very upset i actually cried near the near the end because it brought back all those memories from the mm. 70s and 80s of the of the aids pandemic if you remember 85 we, we barely knew anything about it then uh you know we would have more information but it was still it aids would rage on uh well into the 90s i mean it's still with us today but that really peak period where we lost so many people um you know I, I don't think we can there can be enough reminders of that moment you know i just think it's historically crucial to keep that in our minds and if this can help sort of reboot people's understanding of that era i think it's pretty important you know um yeah it was it was horrible right i mean it, the, the the men we have in the film some of them are the survivors of it lost countless friends um one man who tested positive in 85 
who, because he saw the news about rock and he got himself checked out. He's still with us. He, you know, he's the man, our lovely uh, Peter Kavoyan who kind of closes out the film. Um, it's really moving. It was a really moving journey for me. Um, and in a way, like I said, we moved so fast. We didn't quite know what we had and it wasn't until we kind of put it in front of audiences and people like yourself who, who had the memories that were, uh, had, you know, lived through the times, uh, were really, sh you know, really shook them. Um, and it has a real emotional power, almost less to do with rock in a way. Um, which, you know, we don't know how much he really had to do with the pivot and the shift in that moment. But the fact that it was known finally that someone very, very famous had AIDS and was gay, uh, was a shock to the world, but forced a conversation in a positive direction. I mean, it's a small step, but it was very crucial. Mm. Um, you know, and especially when you're talking about,